Welcome to Scaling Up H2O, the podcast for the entire water treatment industry where we're scaling up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. Hello, Scaling Up Nation, Trace Blackmore here. And today's show, we're gonna be talking to an individual that knows equipment that can help us go home at night. We all know that if there were not those processors and pumps and all those things that are hung on the wall, we could not go home because we would be the ones that would be delivering that product on a 24-7 basis. So I think it just makes sense for us to have individuals on this show who are experts in that area so we can learn what some common mistakes are and what some tips and tricks are that can help us in our day-to-day so we can do what we do better. And the only reason I know that this is something that you all want out there in the Scaling Up Nation because you write in and you tell me what it is you want me to talk about on the show. I know you are sick of hearing me say this, but folks, the only way I can continue continue this show is if you allow me to get more questions from your brains. And the only way that we're going to do that is for you going to scalinguph2o.com and either leaving me a voicemail straight on the website, or you can leave me a show idea email straight from the website. And I will get that and I know what you want me to talk about. Well, our guest today is Laith Charles of Pulse Feeder. And Laith and I met at an AWT technical training, and it was actually the fundamentals and applications training. He and a couple of his cohorts there at Pulse Feeder attended that class, and they had a, a really good perspective on the equipment side, but what that did, that gave them a better perspective on the user side, and they were asking some great questions, and they brought a lot of great dialogue. And you might not know this, but Pulse Feeder is one of the four companies that helps us every year through the demonstration portion of the fundamentals and applications training that what we do is we break up everybody into four different teams, if you will, and they get to put hands on the equipment. They get to ask questions. Normally, people like Lathe have certain troubleshooting items that they want you to work through, and they will guide you through the process. Tom Tinney of Lakewood, he gets his multimeter out, and he shows you exactly how to figure out if a probe is good or bad. The fine folks at Walkim, Lori McPherson, she makes sure that you understand everything that you need to know about probes. And of course, Chris Morris and John Shaw over at Advantage Controls, they're the other people that round out the four. They do a great job to make sure that you understand everything that you need to know about that equipment. And and honestly, they all do that. And they do that because they want to help the industry. They do that because they want to help you. They do that so you know that you can call them if you ever need one of those pieces of equipment. Let's not fool anybody. But because they are helping you, you want to call them. You want to use them as one of your vendors because they're allowing you to be a better water treater. So, That is how I met Lathe Charles. And I got to tell you, he is an impressive guy. He's a young guy. Of course, most everybody in the Scaling Up Nation is young compared to me. But that being said, that doesn't stop him 
when he wants to learn something, he dives right in, and he definitely did that with the fundamentals and applications training, and I was so impressed with him, I wanted the Scaling Up Nation to meet him. So, Scaling Up Nation, it's my hope you enjoy my interview with Lathe Charles. My lab partner today is Lathe Charles of Pulse Feeder. How are you, Lathe? I'm really good, Trace. Thanks for having me on today. It is an absolute pleasure to have you on. Of course, I got to know you through the Association of Water Technologies. And since that time, we've had a couple of conversations and I've really enjoyed our correspondence back and forth via email. And I am delighted to have you on Scaling Up. The pleasure and the honor are all mine, Trace. I appreciate you inviting me on. Absolutely. And you have been great at sending me questions and comments about the show. A matter of fact, we were just talking before this interview where you had noted that I had made a mistake on a previous podcast. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. I mean, I dabble. Yes, I make mistakes. It happens. <laughs> no, we all do. And I thought I'd made a huge blunder on, on some random math that I was working on on the side. I'd I was doing some calculations based on LSI values, and then you were talking about LSI values and how they correlate to phosphonates and selecting organic versus inorganic phosphonates. And when you said LSI value of six being the cutoff for scaling versus corrosive nature, I thought I was missing something. No, you were exactly right. And I made a mistake. And Scaling Up Nation, I am an RSI guy. So my brain thinks to RSI and PSI and RSI are the exact same. They, they, they translate their numbers correct. Of course, they have different calculations in them. But I think I meant to say PSI and I mistakenly said LSI, the Longelier Stability Index. And the middle of the LSI scale is zero, where the middle of the RSI and PSI scale is six. And I believe in the phosphate episode, which was episode 46, I believe, I was talking about that basically you need carbonate alkalinity in order for organic phosphates to work. And if you don't have carbonate alkalinity in your systems, then that's when you're using an inorganic phosphate. So I appreciate you bringing that up because it allows me to let the Scaling Up Nation know that, yes, I made a mistake. It was a misspeak, hopefully more than a mistake. But if you go on my show notes page for that episode, you will see that I have a correction on there. So, Lathe, obviously, you are a listener of Scaling Up. You're a member of the Scaling Up Nation, and you also do so many cool things in the water treatment industry. I'm hoping that you can share with the Scaling Up Nation some of the things that you're doing currently. Sure. I guess my current professional endeavor is I'm regional sales manager for Pulse Feeder up in the Pacific Northwest. So I cover a handful of states for, for Pulse Feeder and kind of get the privilege of providing basically application engineering solutions for our customers, not necessarily limited to just the Pulse Feeder portfolio, but really just lend a hand in trying to figure out what's the best way to solve this application. Beyond that, I dabble with an online blog that I think we're going to dive into a little bit later, but that blog's called Enthalpology, and it's really just a way of kind of expanding my knowledge set of water treatment and the applications that it touches, um, and something that keeps me kind of engaged and keeps my pulse on the water treatment community. So wait a second. So you're saying that you started the blog so you could actually learn more about a particular topic? Yeah, it's kind of a weird 
way to do it, I suppose. But um, I think that's how we all do it. That's why I started this podcast. I know people give me way more credit than I deserve, but I am so hungry for information out there. And this podcast gives me a platform so I can continuously learn. So yeah, you're doing the exact same thing with the blog. I think you're doing it in the right order, not the reverse order. <laughs> I appreciate that. But um, yeah, it's it's different. If you're trying to speak about something as if you're knowledgeable on the topic, the level of understanding that you need is exponentially higher than just kind of blindly plugging and chugging numbers and just accepting things as status quo. Because, you know, you put something out there, a piece of information, and you're going to get challenged on that. And you've got to be able to say, well, I see that perspective, but this is why I have this opinion. You know, basically do your homework. Yeah, I'm trying to think. There was a book, Catch Me If You Can. I can't remember the author. They made a movie about it. Tom Hanks was in it and Leonardo DiCaprio. And they were interviewing him once they caught him in the book. Basically, what he was doing, he was assuming false identities. And he was very successful at assuming these identities. And the FBI could never catch him because he was always one step ahead. And he was a college professor. He taught like these very high, complicated topics. And they asked him, how could you do that? He goes, well, because I read a chapter ahead of all the students. So he was just (laughs) one chapter ahead in the textbook, but it was enough. So he seemed like an expert. So since we're talking about your blog, tell us us a little bit more about your blog. What are some of the things that you're writing about? And uh, what are some of the things that you have on it? So the blog right now is really just kind of a, an overarching dive on cooling towers as a whole. I think my first post was about kind of cooling tower startup and it correlated with kind of the warmer weather. Um, and it just gave some some light tips and tricks on, you know, these are the things that some people might neglect to do when they turn on their system for the first time. You know, certain elastomers might have dried out, certain probes might have been left dry. So just doing the diligence to replace them. But but since then, I've kind of stole from, from you, Trace, um, learning from the fundamentals. You, you had someone stand on this stool, and the stool has four legs, and these legs are kind of the pillars of cooling tower control. And uh, I piggybacked on that and basically put a post on each of those pillars and tried to add my own spin on it because I'm not a chemist. That's not my forte. Pulsivator make equipment, control equipment, pumps, tons of accessories, and kind of my area of, of quote-unquote expertise is really on how the equipment works, kind of what are the limitations of the equipment, how to correctly install that equipment, and then I get to kind of see some of the, the installation issues that various customers might have come across, and you know I can kind of speak to those. Leif, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're an electrical engineer. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So I graduated out, out of Orlando, ironically, where the AWT convention is this year. But um, I'm a UCF grad, so so go Knights. I got my degree in electrical <laughs> engineering and then just started right after college working for Pulsifeeder in our engineering department, designing, testing products for them. I worked on our our cooling tower controller, the Microvision EX. And I just eventually over time became more and more customer facing, getting more and more application experience. And then from that point, it was just kind of an organic transition into basically my role today, where I'm very, very customer facing in a regional sales position. So you are proof that engineers do more than simply drive trains. 
<laughs> the living proof. Well, you brought up Pulse Feeder. Of course, that is the company that you work for and love. So let's talk a little bit about Pulse Feeder. What are some of the new things that you guys have to offer us in the Scaling Up Nation? Yeah, I mean, Pulse Feeder are known for pumps. There's nothing really changed about that. We still make one of the most reliable, cost-effective pumps out there. That's our forte, and it's not changing anytime soon. But you know, Pulse Feeder kind of revamped their controller line relatively recently. Uh, we had an online controller, but when I say online, I'm talking about communicating over like BOD 9600, you know, kind of the older realm of online communications. So our latest platform is the Microvision EX, and that's our newer cooling tower controller. And we really kind of reassessed the whole online platform, what the, the needs of the water treater are, um, and focused on our alert system, our report system, and just integrating some, some tools that make programming the controller easier and more error-free. So, so that, that, that's really what's new with Pulsifier and what we're focusing on. And then you know, our engineering team's always working on perfecting or refining, whether it's a, a pump accessory or a new tool. It, there's so much opportunity Technology moves so fast, and our industry isn't exactly known for adopting new technologies rapidly. So there's this rift with how far sensing equipment and these electronic components have evolved to kind of what's successful in the market today, which is kind of an awesome opportunity being on the engineering side of things. When you're also on the customer-facing side, so I'm curious, what's the biggest reason that you get from your customers which would be our customers, ultimately, why they wouldn't upgrade to something that is later, greater, ultimately going to save them money? I think a lot of people get concerned about security. Whenever you talk about something being online, a lot of customer perception is worried about, well, will that make my system vulnerable? Pulse Feeder took security in mind, and they kind of designed it with, with military-grade encryption with that customer perception in mind. The other piece that I think really limits customers from getting that controller online is if they're concerned about security, a lot of them don't allow controllers to be hardwired within their network. So then you have to start exploring, well, do I need a modem at this installation? And do I have to pay for a cell contract? And and who exactly is covering the cost of that that modem and then kind of the recurring data fees that we're going to have to sustain. And I mean, there's tons of ways to do that, tons of ways to, to kind of handle that cost. Some people are absorbing the cost themselves, the water treater. They say, this is how we do it. It helps us manage our system better. We provide more value to the customer by just building that into the contract, absorbing that cost and providing them better service because we have now better visibility to the processes we control. Some of them are very customer-driven. Customers say, nope, I want this. I'm happy to pay more money for this. And then others are kind of enforced by regulatory compliance. You know, the, the whole city of New York has additional requirements, which kind of make being a water treater in New York without online controllers very difficult. 
Yeah, because you would have to be at that account at the exact second that you got the test result that was showing that it was positive to make that change. So the only way those guys can even go home is to have their controllers online. Yeah, and if they don't have it online, then the testing interval goes up dramatically um, to an almost unsustainable level. Yeah, we have many of our clients online and it allows us to do our job better, especially with Legionella testing. As soon as we get a positive back, of course, we've got to send that to a lab and they send it back. We can make that adjustment right then and there. If we didn't have that, we would have to stop what we were doing and then go all the way out to wherever that might be to make that adjustment. Well, now we can make the adjustment as soon as we get the notice, and then we can start driving to that account to do whatever else we need to do, and we can do other tests and other checks because our product has already fed. Yeah, exactly. And you're very forward-thinking and being proactive about that and having that online function available to you. No, you're already ahead of the curve. Well, I'm sure you have seen things going out and working with us water treatment folk that you have just scratched your head and thought, why did you hook this up this way? With keeping everybody protected and using no names, I'm curious, what installation nightmares have you seen out there? Well, I'll hit on the fact again that my forte is equipment and not chemistry. So the, the amount of information that a water treater is expected to know is astronomical. Not only do you have to know about the chemistry side of it, but you have to know about the process, the open loop side, the cl closed loop side, the chiller, the, it, it, it's almost unreal. So when I see something and I'm like, hmm, that's a little odd or that's a little different, you know, my scope of knowledge of information is, is narrow and it's very equipment centric. So needless to say that probably one of the most common things that I see are just installation setup things that, that are just odd. I've seen coupon racks that are mounted, you know, turned 90 degrees with the flow going the wrong way. I see that more often than I'd like to admit to you. They're not our accounts, but they're, they're ones that we're trying to get. Yeah. Folks, there's an ASME standard on how to hang those. Yes, there is. And it's very particular about kind of the spacing between the coupons and, you know, obviously, you know, the metallurgy as well, the order to put the coupons in. There's there's so much stuff to consider. Probably one of the things I th see the most is kind of probe installation, um, specifically the pH ORP probes. And if you ever deal with something that's like ion specific, those are probes that are very, very finicky. Um, they want water within a certain pressure range, within a certain temperature range, within a certain flow range, and you're expected to just whip that up out of thin air and, and make it work. And, you know, these are real-world processes, but I'll, I'll see comfortably 10, 20 gallons per minute going across a pH probe. And I'll tell you that pH probe isn't going to last near as long as if you installed it with its recommended three to five gallons per minute going across the probe. So... Yeah, that, that, that's probably the one that causes the most issues. Well, let me ask you a question about pH and ORP probes. So sure. in addition to making sure that you have the right flow parameters going through those probes, I know they also have to be in a specific orientation. And I've seen them up, I've seen them down, I've seen them to the side. Where should they be in that sample line? So pH ORP probes should be vertically 
mount it, and flow should be going then horizontal across it. So it's going into a T. Um, the probe should be upright going down into solution. And then, yeah, yeah then just observe the, the flow recommendations. I would strongly advise putting also like a, a trap on the probe. And by trap, I just mean like a little dip in the piping or an elbow. Some people ship their panels kind of that way. But that is to keep the probe wet should there be a no-flow situation. I don't know if your piping drains in your in your process or not, but if it does, you definitely want to trap. You do not want those probes to dry out. Drying out is another recipe for disaster when it comes to kind of early failure of, of these probes. So thinking out loud, what you're saying is in your flow assembly, you want those probes to be at the bottom of the assembly so they don't run out of water. Yeah, if you can put a mini trap where it's just a step. Okay. So the level drops down. You want the probes to be then going into that lower section of pipe. Okay. The one that should ideally not drain because you do have a little trap there. All right, that's great advice. Let me ask, what would happen if somebody did put the probes in the wrong orientation? Well, inside the probe is an electrode buffer. And the proper installation kind of ensures that that buffer and the glass, semi-permeable glass membrane on those probes kind of exchanges at an acceptable rate with the process. Mounting the probe incorrectly will typically expedite the kind of the electrolyte buffer getting out of the probe, which will kill the probe as well. Yeah, my inner nerd in me wanted to see if I could bring a spent probe back to life so I had a super saturated solution of potassium chloride, and I actually was able to get that probe to work for about three hours. <laughs> yeah, you can do a lot at restoring the probe. That's, that's a really good point is proper probe care. I mean, I know you've mentioned caring for your Myronel, and that's just a probe where you, you kind of take samples periodically, and then you put it back in its nice buffer solution, and it gets to sit with no flow going across it for quite some time. So the demand on a probe in that application. Let's factor out the fact that it sits in a 100 degree car for you know a couple hours out of the day. But the fact that it's not subjected to flow 24-7 helps it a lot. So think about this probe. It's in the process, actively reading almost 24-7. Things get on it. Oils cover the probe. As I mentioned, that, that buffer kind of depletes over time. Um, there's a lot of things you can do to bring them back to life, to your point, Trace. You can you know, rinse it off with some Dawn dish soap to help get any kind of oils that might be coating that, that glass membrane. That can help. You can also kind of hit it with some, some acid to, to try and restore or even put it back in that reference buffer um, that it comes in to, to try and restore it as well. So, yeah, there are things you can do to bring it back to life a little bit, but there's a point of diminishing return. Exactly. And, and someone told me that because it's a semi-permeable membrane and you've got that reference material in there, as soon as it gets made, it starts to diminish its accuracy. So in the box, it has an expiration date. And then, you know, it's just you put it in the system and eventually it is going to fail. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. They think, okay, I just spent all this money for this new controller. It came with pH and ORP. And now it's, you know, 12 months later or whatever it is. And now I got to replace this probe. Why isn't this thing working properly? 
And there might be some things you can do to extend the life, but the normal life, it does have an expiration date and you do have to replace those. How often, if everything is correct, should we expect to replace those probes? So manufacturers of the probes say that sitting on a shelf in buffer solution, the shelf life is two years. I've seen someone get away with using a probe for three or four years. I guess my rebuttal is how precise do you want to be with the probe? Um, if you know a half a pH is good enough, then the replacement time can stretch a little bit. If you need it precise within 0.2 pH, you know, then your, your change frequency should be higher. I'd recommend an annual switch out. I mean, your, your system's being turned off. I'm, I'm guessing most people aren't storing their probes correctly. So yeah, just, just build it in. Um, these probes in particular, it's better to have an accurate probe than burn through a ton of chemistry. That's a great point. Are probes better today than they were yesterday? Yes and no. The glass permeable pH and the same exact probe with a platinum rod sticking out of it for ORP is largely unchanged. Um, Fundamentally, the same exact technology is used. I would say that just kind of electronics have gotten better. The isolation on electronics, the precision of power supplies, and making certain analog to digital sensing equipment more cost affordable has, has definitely bridged the gap a little bit. But the actual analog sensing element hasn't changed in our industry, at least. There are other technologies out there. They have solid state pH sensing devices, but honestly, they're, they're pretty cost prohibitive and they have a very narrow scope of kind of these are the conditions that probes like that are happy to operate in. And that's often a deal breaker in, in our real world applications. So probably the most important measurement to sense specifically in like evaporative coolers or even boilers is conductivity. Um, you know, pH and ORP are selectively used, but controlling conductivity is, is key. So I just emphasize that make sure you, you've got a good conductivity probe, uh, make sure you're maintaining it correctly. I strongly recommend kind of a toroidal style conductivity probe. Leith, for our audience, for our audience, if you will, what does that mean? What does toroidal actually mean? What is that probe if somebody hasn't seen it? So when you look at the measurement used for conductivity, microsiemens per centimeter. So that's how conductive is something over a centimeter, which is a line, one line. So when you talk about a contacting style probe, it's measuring from one point to the next. If I put voltage X from one probe, how much do I see on the other probe? How much current's going? What's my, what's my drop? And you can infer conductivity from that. When I say toroidal style, that's a probe that's taking kind of a volumetric measurement of the process solution. So the way the, the probe works is it kind of emits a magnetic field in the solution. So it's got an excitation emitter, and then it's got an antenna that's receiving kind of what the reflective magnetic field is. And Things that are more conductive will magnify the emitted magnetic field more. Anyway, needless to say, the probe itself is doing a volumetric measure. It's not measuring from one line to another. It's taking a broad measurement and it's averaging it. 
doing that makes the probe way, way more accurate and far more resistant to fouling. You talk about scale buildup on this probe. You talk about things like biofilm, things that could interfere with your measurement. Using a toroidal style probe, you're, you're prorating the effects of that fouling film exponentially to where it's almost not affecting the actual raw measurement at all. Is there a major cost difference between the regular style probe and the toroidal? I mean, there is a cost impact trace as with anything that's better, but like certain product families at Pulsifeeder just have that built in as the standard. We manufacture our own probe. It's our own design. It works very, very well in standardizing on it. Kind of helps us lower the price point of getting that better technology built in at an affordable price. Late, anything else we can expect from sensing equipment today? So one of my hobbies is to keep a good pulse on advances in sensing equipment, new sensors out there. If I'm going to put on my forward-thinking hat and try and guess at where sensing technology is going to go, I think we're going to see a lot more biofilm sensors use more standard. Um, obviously, biofilm is awful insulator, so it's something that water treaters care about, and it can kind of help shield Legionella and, and any other kind of bacteria from, from biocides from being effective. So expect an uptick in biofilm sensing equipment. I would also say that we've kind of seen the start of optical sensors getting their foothold in this, in this industry. So obviously PTSA and fluorescein have, have appeared in cooling towers and boilers, um, and it's now available through a few different probe manufacturers. But, you know, that's, that's a light source exciting a particle and then kind of analyzing the, the emittance to gauge what your trace levels are. Lathe, I remember it wasn't very long ago where those probes, those, um, those light-emitting probes, were incredibly expensive, and it was very difficult to convince customers to put out that kind of money to trace the products that we had in there. Now, the price is considerably lower, and it's a lot easier to get those on the controllers that we're recommending. Because of that, are, are you guys selling a lot more of those at Pulse Feeder? I mean, people are either on board with trace or they're not. They've either incorporated it, incorporated it into their inhibitor and they they swear by it or they're good with millidata or some some other kind of trace technology. Yeah, I mean yeah, there's been a huge uptick in that. A lot of it's customer driven as well. I've noticed a lot of data centers like having it. It gives them kind of sense of more control over the chemistry in their tower. But um Optical technology is only getting cheaper. It's one of the more exciting fields. It's where most of the recent Nobel Prizes are going to optical discoveries, like the, the blue LED being exponentially more efficient than, than kind of incandescent bulbs. That's just one style of optical probe that we've seen take off and then become more affordable. We still haven't touched on like interferometers getting and taking off in, in the water treatment industry. And even optical spectroscopy, I think you'll see that become more affordable. And then instead of sensing pH, ORP, things like that, you can actually see how much alkalinity is there in the system, how much of this exact molecule is there in the system. Still cost prohibitive at this point, but I, 
I'd be surprised if we don't see that slowly transition into our market, in addition to some some thin film sensors and on all this other stuff. Well, I think the thing I appreciated most was your comment that needs to be a t-shirt. You're either on board with Trace or you're not. Story of my life. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Lay, the last time we saw each other was in Cleveland for the AWT technical training seminars. And of course, you and I were over in the fundamentals and application side. And you taught me that the term COP in COP kit actually stands for something. I never knew this. Please let the Scaling Up Nation know what that stands for. Be my pleasure. So yeah, COP kit stands for keep on pumping. COP so yeah, that's just our name for a, a wet end rebuild kit for, for the Pulsatron pump. Recommend doing them at least annually, maybe once every six months to keep your pump in tip-top performance. I have been rebuilding pumps probably since I was 13 years old. I've always called them cop kits. I had no idea that they actually meant something. So there you go, Scaling Up Nation. Now you are advised as well as I am. <laughs> But yeah, while we're on the topic of the the fundamentals and applications training, I just I attended the the fundamentals side of it in Vegas. I actually sat in the class and I learned a wealth of information. You guys cram a lot of information into a, a very short amount of time. It's kind of like as you've called it, drinking from a fire hose. Absolutely. And of course you're referring to I get the privilege of doing that alongside of Mark Lewis. Correct. You both tag team that and, and give the audience far more information than they have any idea what to do with. Um, but it's hugely valuable. At least it was for me. I guess I'm going to give you a minor applaud or actually a major one for God, the, the time and the effort. And you, you really go out there and you, you put on a heck of a show. And it's super rewarding for those who attend. If you haven't gone, I'd strongly recommend it. They have the, the, the more entry-level class and then an advanced course. I hope to take the advanced course next year. Well, I think I thank you for that comment. And I also think it ties into our conversation that we had at the top of the episode where when you're wanting to learn more about a topic, the easiest way to do is put yourself out there giving information. So the more you give, the more you get back. You're doing that with a blog. I'm doing that with a podcast. And I'm especially doing that when I'm training, because if I can train something and I can train when somebody doesn't have all the experiences and references that I do, and I can build that mental image for them as they're listening to me, I understand that topic better. And I wouldn't have had that opportunity had I not done those. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd encourage anyone who wants to get more involved to do it. I mean, no one here is trying to make you ask a, a dumb question in a crowd and, and laugh at you. Everyone is out there supportive. It's a super interesting, loving community that the kind of the whole AWT market has created because um, you've got competitors that talk to each other like their colleagues. They work collaboratively together. I mean, it's all towards kind of making the chemistry and the processes better managed, more efficient, and... Um, I'd encourage anyone who's trying to get out there, get more involved to, to do so. People in the AWT community are super helpful. They're super willing to, to lend a hand and, and kind of mentor you. Um, and they want to see you succeed. They want to see you do well. So get out there and 
the end of the day, you're going to benefit from it. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about some of the other things that you do to put yourself out there. Of course, you're not only a participant in the fundamentals and applications training, you also help do some of that training. Would you mind sharing with the Scaling Up Nation what you're doing with that? Yeah, absolutely. So this past year, there was a a hands-on session kind of towards the end of the training where Pulsifeeder was one of the, the privileged vendors to come in bring some equipment, bring some screwdrivers, a little bit of reference literature, and just help show the treaters out there how to install this equipment, how to take it apart, how to correctly install it. And it's really a great way to to get a good Q&A session going on. I got so many good questions about you know correct installation of pumps, and, and that's actually what I covered. I covered pumps and blowdown valves. So we went over this is how you install a pump, flooded suction versus suction lift, what you have to watch out for in terms of you know, injecting 100 foot up in the air, what kind of back pressure does that build up against the pump, making sure you oversize equipment, making sure you put a, a check ball if you're worried about chemical maybe going backwards the wrong direction. So lots, lots of good stuff, and you get to see the components, what they look like, how they go together, um, and then take it apart yourself. Truth be known, you gave me a lot of credit for how good Mark and I's section is. I think the best thing that is done in the fundamentals and application training is that hands-on section. The fact that all the attendees get to circulate around through four different vendors, each covering a different topic. They're taking things apart. They're putting them together. They're learning how to troubleshoot. They are saving so much time when they get back in the field because they have learned these tips and techniques. It's absolutely the best thing AWT does, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I was super honored to be involved in that. Um, as I mentioned, I, I just, it, every session was so different because you break everyone up into small groups and it can really go any way. The, the, the questions that they ask kind of steer how the hands-on kind of plays out. And um, we're, we're really the, just there as a resource to the water treaters to help them do their, their jobs better. Yeah, all of you guys do a fantastic job. And folks out there in the nation, if you're listening and you're going to come, think about some of the issues that you're having with equipment, that if you knew some tips and techniques to solve that, it would save you a tremendous amount of time out in the field. And this is the perfect venue for you to ask that. And now that actually helps people like Lathe not have to lead the entire conversation. And I think you might want to know about this. And I think you might want to know about that. If you're letting him know exactly what you need to know about, it's a far better interaction. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, what are we given? It's 45 minutes, something like that. Ish, I mean, I can talk for 45 minutes about pumps, but, you know, I'd I'd rather talk for 10, 15 minutes, do the high level overview, and then the rest of it is just interactive. What have you seen? What problems have you encountered? How can we help? What could we do differently to avoid certain problems from happening in the future? Um, what are some best practices here and there? And that that's the beauty of the small groups and kind of the intimate community that, that the AWT creates in that venue. So thanks for, for kind of creating that forum and allowing some of the vendors to come in with equipment. Um, I think it is providing immense value to, to the customers. 
Well, I'm just one piece of the moving cog in that wheel. So, uh, but yeah, you're absolutely welcome. And we improve that each and every time that we do it. And thanks for all the people that allow that to happen. You know, I want to change gears just a little bit. You know, the old guys call me a young guy. And of course, I'm older than you, so I can call you a young guy. <laughs> but there's a misconception that I want to talk about. And I don't think I told you we were going to talk about this. So we'll see how this goes. But when the older generation is dealing with people in your generation, there's the tendency that, okay, well, the young guys just don't get it. They're, they don't want it as much as I did when I was their age. And I see people like you that are blogging, that are volunteering, that are putting yourself out there to learn all that you can as quickly as you can, and also find some mentors out there to help you along the way. So my question is, what advice do you have for both sides of that fence? So I guess for younger up-and-coming water treaters who want to kind of make waves and, and really take take the industry by the horns is, you know, challenge things respectfully, but challenge the status quo. You know, if your mentor in water treatment has been doing the same thing for 30 years, like, trust me, what they're doing works and you should definitely listen to that. But with newer technologies and maybe some new chemistry out there, if you've done your research, definitely try and incorporate some of these process improvements because without them, you know, you miss out on potential advancements in the industry. So, so definitely challenge status quos. The older people, yeah, I mean, us millennials are going to make mistakes. Give us a little bit of a leash to make those mistakes so that we can learn from them, right? It's, it's one thing to tell someone, do this, do that. It's another thing for them to go through it and learn that knowledge firsthand. Those are the lessons that stick. So, so be patient with our, with our kind of constant nagging and and really, really fast paced, I want results now type type mentality. And then, yeah, when it comes to mentors and, and kind of how to get out there is participate, you know, get involved in, in a community. I'm a, I'm a member of the AWT Young Professionals Organization. Um, Michelle Farmer does a great job at kind of running the, the, the seed subcommittee within that, um, as well as the whole organization. Lean on the AWT community. You mentioned mentors. I mean, my main mentors probably my father, huge influential role model, but you know, he doesn't know anything about water treatment. That's his, his backgrounds in IT and, and things like that. So I've been fortunate enough to reach out to, to you, Trace, um, a couple other prominent figures in, in the AWT community, and they've been super friendly, super willing to help. So lean on those people. Um, and then, yeah, your, your organization is going to have tons of resources at, at, at your disposal. They're going to they're gonna want you to learn. They're going to want to invest in you. So take advantage of that. Leigh, let me ask you, because I'm sure when you're picking up the phone and you're calling somebody you probably don't know very well or you know of and you want them to help you with an issue that you're having, maybe ultimately be a mentor, what advice do you have to pick up that 100-pound phone and actually make that phone call? Well, I mean, I've kind of had to get used to picking up the phone and making calls that may or may not be answered. That's that's kind of the, the wheelhouse that I'm in right now. But I mean, what do you got to lose? If you don't make the phone call, you definitely don't get the answer. If you pick up the phone call and try, you can at least say that you've tried. If you don't get the answer you want, 
<laughs> yeah, move on. I mean, there's no change if you get a no. You 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 are where you are. You've lost nothing. So so roll the dice. Don't worry about your ego. Just try and get that 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 needle moving. Great answer. Lathe, what's the one thing you want the Scaling Up Nation to know from this interview? I don't know. I, I guess there's no shortcuts to water treatment. There's, there, there's no one answer to any question. Hopefully, out of this interview, you've gotten something that'll one trick, one tip that might help you make a pH probe last a little longer or avoid an installation issue. But just know that there's, there's resources available. If you ever have technical questions, it's all a symbiotic relationship. Use the vendors around you to to support you. Use your peers around you to support you. Uh, Know that this is a big community and that we're all kind of hoping to to perfect these processes. Consume less water. Prolong chiller lifespan. I mean, it's all one big system. And uh, yeah, take advantage of it. I love it. I will say that water treatment, I think, is the original green industry. We were saving water before anybody thought about saving water. But I'll also say that having your generation move into it has really embraced the fact that we have such a huge impact in order to save water and the amount of water that we could save. I think we're moving faster as an industry because we do have millennials in the water treatment community. Yeah, millennials are pretty short attention span, results-driven people. So they're definitely going to try and shake up the water treatment industry a little bit. And uh, I'm kind of excited to to see how that all plays out and, and what water treatment looks, uh, you know, five, 10 years from now. You know, it's funny you say that because I get more comments that my podcasts are too long. Can I shorten them? And I say, just listen to them <laughs> in other segments. But I guess that's why I get that comment. Uh, Yeah, people say that they won't get out of their cars to go service an account or to go into their house at the end of the night because they want to see how it ends. So I guess that's a good thing. (laughs) But folks, you can hit pause and you can play it later. You have that ability. I do have one of your episodes on pause now, just just as an FYI. Oh, do you? All right. Well, that's okay. So you've learned how to use your phone app properly. So you out there in the Scaling Up Nation, you can learn from Lathe and you can hit pause too. So this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I've got a couple of lightning round questions for you. So I'm not quite done with you yet. If you got a couple more moments to spend with me. Let's do it. All right. So you know I'm a Back to the Future fan. You know I have a DeLorean here in my office. It is equipped with a flux capacitor. We're going to get in it together. We're going to set the time circuits back to the first day of you in the water treatment industry. What advice do you give yourself? I don't think your DeLorean needed much power to get back you know, to a whopping four years ago. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't have an incredible amount of perspective because um, I haven't been in the biz for for a crazy long amount of time. But um, yeah, definitely I'll reinforce the fact that don't be afraid of fa- failure and, and to put yourself out there. Uh, getting involved in a, a subcommittee is probably one of the best things you can do. You you get to, to know certain people in the industry. You start talking collaboratively about solving a problem in the industry. And uh, yeah, it's definitely going to help your personal development and just get you out there networking. What's the last book you've read? The last books I read. Um, I've got to name the seven habits of highly effective people. I think you've heard of that book. I'm not, I'm not sure. Is that? I am familiar with that book. I'm curious. Did you read that because of this show? Yes. Yes. That was one of your most highly recommended books to read. 
I am honored. That is that is awesome. I think it's so cool that uh, that you read that because of this show. I've heard other people have done that as well. So you just made my day. What are some of the other books? Um, so I nerded out and listened to Astrophysics for People in a Hurry by Neil deGrasse Tyson. And I've almost finished, but not quite yet, but I'm going to give myself the credit, uh, Cat's Cradle by Kurt Vonnegut. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. But that's, that's an interesting read. So let me ask, with Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, would you recommend that book after reading it? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I don't know what, actually when the book was released, but it's interesting how well it has stood the test of time. I mean, the examples used in the book are very, very relatable. Um, he's definitely gone out of his way to find some real life situations that can resonate with the reader and just adds perspective. And if you're not adding perspective to your life, then you're going to get caught in a loop. So definite, definite read. Awesome. I love it. So obviously in a couple of years, Hollywood is going to make a movie about your life. Who plays Leif? I chose Christoph Waltz. He's not an extremely well-known name. He's in some Tarantino movies, but he's a character. I love him as an actor. I would be honored if he would play the role of Leif Charles in my future inevitable movie. There you go. And you know it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. So my final question is, you now have the ability to talk to anybody throughout history. Who would it be with and why? Well, I struggle with this one because I want to name more than one person. Um, if I'm going to be absolute, it's probably going to be Michael Faraday. Um, just being an electrical engineer, there's so many like innovative scholars through, over the course of time. Um, Alan Turing's another one, Maxwell, Tesla. I mean, there's so many great people that I'd love to meet and pick their brain. But if you're narrowing me to one, Michael Faraday. All right. He had a great cage, I hear. <laughs> All right. Lay, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for everything that you're doing to raise the water treatment community. And uh, thanks for reading The Seven Habits. I just think that's awesome. No, thanks. Thanks for recommending it. Um, pleasure coming on today, Trace. Hopefully the listeners liked it. And um, if anyone has ideas for things that they want to be written about on my blog, don't, don't hesitate to reach out. Um, it's really a resource for you guys and a way for me to enhance myself. So challenge away. And real quick, what is the website again? Enthalpology.com. Like enthalpy and then the study of. Mash them together. Well, Nation, you've got to love that. A guest comes on the show and calls me out for being wrong. Well, it has happened before. I have been wrong. And, you know, we're never perfect in anything that we do. We're definitely not perfect in water treatment, but we learn from our mistakes. And folks, I got to tell you, even when I listened to the edited copy of episode 46, I knew what I was thinking, even though I didn't say those words and I misspoke. So of course, I'm talking about the phosphate episode that I did, episode 46. And if you go on my show notes page, I clarify all that. So immediately when it was brought to my attention, I went and uh, I think what I did, I was thinking RSI and PSI, those are the two ones that I use most frequently, RSI, the Risner Stability Index. And I somehow said LSI, which is a totally different scale, RSI and LSI. See, I did it again. RSI and PSI are the same scale, 0 to 12. 
and then LSI is negative three to positive three. So if you have any questions about that, you got two options. You got a couple options, actually. You can listen to episode 46 again and know that I misspeak and go to my show notes page on that. Or you can go to episode 24. That was my first questions only show that I did last year. And I actually answered a listener's question about what LSI, RSI, and PSI actually is, how they're different, how they're the same. So there's an entire episode on that where I answer that question. So um, sorry for the confusion, but I got to tell you, it was pretty cool when that released. I received on the first day two phone calls, maybe four texts and then the next day I started getting all these emails so you guys are listening to what is going out on the internet airwaves through the scaling up nation so I appreciate that so something I hope the entire nation got from what Lathe was telling us is that he forced himself to do things to make himself better at what he wanted to get better at. Now, he started a blog to start getting information to anybody who wanted to read it on things he wanted to know more about. Lay does a blog. I do a podcast. But the reason is the exact same. I want to know everything I can about the water treatment industry. I do that by reading everything I can get my hands on. If I can talk to an expert in a particular field in water treatment, you better believe I am going to do that. I have mentors that you guys have met on the Scaling Up program that I am constantly asking more and more information from them. My dad got sick of how much more information that I needed. I needed it. I always need more information. So that is something that I struggle with on a regular basis, but it has made me better because I have always tried to figure out how to go to the next step. I realize when I coach people, when I talk to people, especially in the water treatment industry, that they have an issue with they don't know what the next step needs to be. So I'm going to make it very simple, and it comes from the seven habits of highly effective people. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People teaches us a technique called third-person teaching. And what that is, when you learn something and all you do is learn it and you don't have to teach it to anybody else so you're not responsible for that information, your brain doesn't process it as much as it does if you know that you are responsible for that information because you now have to teach that to somebody else. You're going to listen better. You're going to take notes notes better. You're going to ask questions better. You're going to process the whole transaction better to make sure that you know how to properly teach somebody else the material that you are learning. So I'm going to suggest that that is the key. When you go to learn something new, think about who you can teach it to But don't just think about it. Make the commitment that you are going to go to somebody and say, hey, I know you're curious about this. I'm going to a seminar on this and I'm going to come back and I'm going to teach you everything that I learned. When you now go to that seminar, you're going to be in a totally different mindset because you're going to be thinking about how you're going to convey that message properly. You're also going to be thinking about all the questions that that person is going to ask you that you are now going to have to answer, not just the questions that you have. 
I promise if you start doing this, it is a game changer whenever you learn new information. Now, that being said, maybe it's not an auditorium of 200 people. Maybe it's a customer. Maybe you ask your customer, what's something that I can help you with? And if they know something that you know, or if they want you to talk about something that you know, you can do that right there. But what if they ask you something that you don't know anything about? you now have the opportunity to go learn it and bring that back to them. I tell you, I can't tell you how many things I have taught to my wife, Stacy for the benefit of this. Stacy, could you take your CWT now? I'm not sure. I pretty much think that, that the answer is no. Um, I hope it's no, because I know that that's a very difficult exam. She's a really good test taker, though. But you have to know the industry, not just know how to take the test. Anyway, I don't know where I got off on that rant. But my suggestion for you is anytime you learn something, change your perspective from student to teacher. Something else that Lathe mentioned was knowing your equipment. And he was talking about all the new things that were coming out and what some common mistakes were and what some common tips you needed to know based on what he saw working with people like us. How well do you know the equipment that you work with? Now, here at Blackmore Enterprises, we work pretty, uh, pretty closely with two different equipment manufacturers. We don't go too far out of that. We do have some other things and accounts we've taken over, but it's just easier to work with a few instead of a lot because then you don't have to stock a lot of parts and everybody becomes very familiar with how things work. So I don't know if that's how you do things. That's how we do things. It seems to work for us. But what we also do is we try to figure out how much stuff can we actually know about what we are using and how do we know when we don't know something else. That's a weird way to say that, but we're constantly challenging ourselves to learn about what the controller does, to learn about what the pumps do and how we can do those better. So try to do that on your own. Uh, try to do that with your company. And I think you will be amazed at how much you will learn that that piece of equipment can do that you might not even realize that it could do. Also, another thing that I would advise you to do is to make sure you have a great relationship with your equipment provider because they know things that can help you be a better water treater. When you know the top five things that you need to be prepared for on every installation, how more efficient are you going to be at that next installation? So if you haven't reached out to your local representative, I urge you to do that, whatever equipment company it is, and ask them, what should you be doing? What should you prepare for in order to be better and more efficient? Well, folks, I sure am glad that you are listening to the Scaling Up H2O podcast. I sure enjoy bringing it to you, and I will talk with you next time on Scaling Up.